I call this the uh, champions meeting and I see some of the guys who are regulars on here. And um, just to clarify what, you know, what we consider a champion is just somebody who, you know, from the very beginning, Rocky just prayed that God would raise up more leaders that would see what he was saying. They would see the vision for making disciples by helping people learn how to have an intimate abiding relationship with Christ and using the journey. And um, he felt like the Lone Ranger in the beginning, you know, and then God just started raising up people, not just here in Northwest Arkansas, but just started raising them up all around the country. And uh, I was one of those guys in Tulsa, uh, and Rocky didn't even know who I was, but God was preparing me for years, and I was looking for a way to do discipleship, and then and then I met Rocky, and it was just kind of like, uh, it, it all started happening. And then we did the first group in 2006. And, uh, and in 2007, um, Frank Khalil, uh, went through a journey group because one of his friends, Jim Holder invited him to go. And Frank was a, I'll let him tell a little bit of a story, but he was a police officer with Tulsa police department. And, uh, it, they were meeting during lunch and, and, you know, Frank had a pretty, pretty hectic schedule so much so he was afraid he wouldn't be able to make the meeting. So he actually asked his, uh, his boss to have vacation time, you know, on these dates because he wanted to be in part of this group. This is, I mean, I've never, it's the only time I've ever heard anyone doing that in the history of this ministry that I've been part of. And so that just shows you the level of dedication Frank had and his seeking his hunger to become a disciple. So, so Frank, why don't you tell a little of your story um, of kind of how, what happened with you and influencers and then, Tell them a little bit about the calling when you decided it, it was time to maybe go full time with influencers. These are these are all champions who God has raised up around the country in different cities. And we got Gary Harris, one of our board members, is on as well. Um, but anyway, uh, you guys are all uh, out there doing the ministry. Michael's on staff with us uh, down in uh, Dallas Fort Worth. So we got some staff guys, some board members, and we got some regional. Uh, champions uh, who could someday could be on staff with influencers, perhaps. So, anyway, Frank, tell me a little of your story and uh, and how you ended up, how it all evolved, and then we'll hopefully we'll we'll have some time for questioning, question and answer after that. So, sure. Um, thanks for having me, Brian, and thanks for all you guys for jumping on. And such a blessing to see Trent jump on here, and Bob over in Norman, and. Uh, and and Andrew, so many of you guys that I've met in the past, and there are so many faces I don't I don't know, but uh, I'm just humbled to be part of God's ministry, if you will, um, and what He's called us all to. Um, but a little bit of my story is exactly what Brian said. Um, I'll I'll step, take a little step back before I went through the journey in 2007, which was year two after Brian uh, was obedient to go discover what it really means to, to go deeper. Um, and he's right. I mean, I, I was a full-time actually at the time that I was given the journey to the chamber by, uh, my friend, Jim Holder, who actually went through the original group with Brian. Um, I was actually working undercover narcotics at the time and, um, don't let the cul-de-sacs fool you. I'm, I'm just a kid. I'm really young. 
but I was a lot younger then. And, um, I didn't, you know, my job was my life. Um, uh, this is back in the pager days. For those of you that use pagers, uh, you know, when that pager went off, you answered the pager. So holidays, Christmas, weekends, I mean, I missed everything. Um, but I, I really loved my job and I was really good at what I did. Um, anyhow, but there was, there was something missing in my life as a man. Right. Um, and I don't say this lightly to all of you because maybe some of you can relate, but at that time, um, I was looking for something primarily at the time I was looking for something. I was looking for discipleship just to, to be brutally honest. Uh, I had heard that word from the pulpit quite a bit, but I never been discipled. So I didn't really understand what that really looked like. Uh, so I just started reading the scriptures and I became a, I became an elder and a deacon and a Sunday school teacher in a traditional Southern Baptist church. And don't hold it against me, but um, I had the head knowledge at a very, very young age. Um, I can answer the questions. I could spit out all the scriptures. Uh, I knew all the stories, but there was something radically missing at the heart level. So uh, when my friend Jim Holder gave me that little book, I thought there is no way I could do this. Um, I worked all the time, you know, like I said, if when the pager dictates your schedule, you're going all the time. And I thought, how do I do this? But I remember coming home and telling my wife about this little book that Jim gave me. And, and I did like most people do. I put that book aside. I didn't touch it for a couple of months. And then one day I picked it up and I started reading it. And I felt like I was reading my own story, right? It's an allegory, but I think we all can relate to that allegory story. You know, we, we all at some point start as a refugee and hopefully eventually we begin to see this process that God calls us to. So I felt like, man, I have been this refugee for a long time. Um, I'm doing a lot of works within the church, but I, my heart, there's something missing at the heart level. So I came back and Brian was right. I didn't think it was a big deal. Um, I went to my commander and in my unit, because I, I, I had been promoted to work in this unit. So and I literally handed him a vacation slip for every Tuesday from 11 to one for the next nine months. And this man stood up and he called me every nasty name in the book, uh, much like the military. And he said, you cannot work here and take those Tuesdays. And I said, well, I guess I won't be working here then. And it was at the end of the day. So he said, well, tomorrow morning, just come in and clean out your desk. Well, if any of you know how the, a lot of the police departments work, uh, it's all about seniority. So I didn't have much seniority at the time. So I knew that I would be demoted by not staying in that job. So I would go back to the field, back in uniform, back to shift work. You know, the best um, hours and days off I would have would be probably graveyard hours with, you know, middle of the week days off. But I'd come home and told my wife, look, um, God's calling me to something greater in my faith walk. And I believe this is it. I've got to go discover what this whole abandoned self, fully trust God. I, I, I want to go what this is. And of course, thank goodness, I married way over my head. And she said, yes, go do that. Uh, knowing there would, there would be a huge cost. You know, um, my hours would go back to horrible hours and days off. And my wife was willing to, to say, yeah, OK. So 
I came in the next morning, started clearing out my desk. But this is the first move that God made on my behalf, right? Because if we get out of the way, he does everything else. He just wanted me to be obedient. Um, so I walked in and started cleaning out my desk. And my commander called me in the office. He closed the door and he looked at me and he took my vacation slips. He literally ripped them and threw them at me and says, you can throw those in the trash. You, you've put in your time. You can have your Tuesdays. And I said, oh, does that mean I still get to work here? He goes, absolutely. So I said, thank you. Guys, I will tell you, with the exception of giving my life to Christ and marrying my wife, truly the best decision I ever made in my life. Now, I'll fast forward to say I never dreamed I'd be doing what I'm doing today. Um, Brian probably Trank can attest to this. I'm pretty entrepreneurial. Uh, my wife jokes that um, if she was for sale, I'd probably sell her. It's a joke. Um, I just, I love people. and. Um, I love a good challenge. And I thought, you know, if I can do as good as I have done in police work in 17 and a half years, um, I kept thinking, gosh, if I would put half of that amount of effort in pointing people to Jesus and what I discovered through the journey, man, God will do something amazing. So um, I just stepped out. I did something completely out of the ordinary. Um, you know, Brian remembers this very vividly. So does Trent. They're the first two guys on my board in Tulsa. Uh, we kind of got to be the guinea pig region, if you will. Um, but God took care of it all. So um, maybe some of you are sitting there today going, man, I'm a champion. God's using me to lead groups. Um, is he calling you? So uh, I'll give you this, this other challenge. Um, some of you have met Pete McKenzie, you know, Rocky's best friend. And Pete, Pete helped me understand that we're all called to ministry to a certain degree. We're all called to share the gospel in, in your own unique gifting kind of way. But some of us are chosen to ministry. And there is a difference. Um, it took me a little bit to figure that out, but there is a difference when you're called versus when you're chosen. We're all called. So you're called to lead journey groups and you're doing that. And that's awesome. But some of you may be sitting here today and you're going, man, maybe I am chosen for such a time as this to literally step out and re-lead a region. Um, that might be you. Um, that was me literally 15, 16 years ago. And I never thought that would be possible. But God did. And it's pretty simple. All I had to do was the things that I had learned through this journey process. I mean, just to keep it simple for you, that's all I had to do. Um, I had to look at the scriptures that, you know, John 15, 5, which is so core to us, right? Jesus said, if you abide in me, I will remain in you. And you will bear fruit, not might, not maybe, not sometimes. It's a promise. And that apart from me, you can do nothing. And I think um, I have learned that um, as I yielded my life to the Lord, as I took those words above the inner chamber that said, total self-abandonment and absolute trust, um, that's an act of obedience. That's the only way that can happen. And the more I learned to obey through self-feeding, through abiding, through growing in my faith walk, for me personally, that's the vertical, the more God moved in Tulsa becoming a region. 
And Brian and Trent can both attest to that. It was not easy the first few years. But all I had to do is get out of the way and God took care of the rest. So let me, let me back are. up. Let me back but, up, Frank. I just want to back up a second. I mean, you were how many years away were you from getting full retirement from the from the police department? Uh, three years, seven months and 23 days. But but yet and you and you had gone through a lot of trials, which, you know, we might call sifting. Uh, just some stuff that was really tough happened with, you know, it's a long story, but, um, yes. you know, there was stuff outside of your control that was just, you know, pulling you in and, you know, and, and anyway, um, you reached a point where you're like, I did you just felt the calling. You, you felt like there was something God was getting you ready for. And you got to tell quickly, tell the story of just how he confirmed it for you. in it's kind of an unusual way. I think that's interesting. Uh, yeah, that's, it is interesting, Brian. So. Uh, my wife and I, uh, my wife's grandparents have a little cabin just outside of Jackson Hole, Wyoming, up on the side of the mountain. And it was a place that is very dear to her. She grew up as starting at age three till she married me at age 24. She spent her summers there. Well, when we got married in October of 2000, um, the first place we went was Jackson Hole. And um, that's a place we went every summer. It was our getaway. And, and I needed it as a cop. Man, it was it was healing. It was a healing place for my soul. So um, 2012, to be exact, we had taken a trip up there. And at, the t- at that point, we had two, two, our two kids had been born. Um, our daughter, Grace, was four. And our son, Samuel, was just an infant, just a few months old. And like Brian said, I had gone through quite a bit of trials and tribulation through work and a lot of different things. And God was preparing me for something greater. So we went on that trip and I told my wife, um, I'm going to go on a hike today because I know that I know that I know the Lord's going to tell me what's next. Now, I didn't know what next was other than I assumed next was going to be some really awesome entrepreneurial career making lots of money because you don't become a cop to make lots of money. Um, Little did I know um, it was all about my faith journey. Um, And at the time, you know, 2012, I've been on this journey for a little over five years, been leading journey groups. I mean, it radically changed me at the core. So I went on this eight mile hike that took me um, about six hours. And I got to the, 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 Top of this mountain, there's a tram. For any of you that have been to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, there's a there's a Teton village, and you can take this tram to the top of the base of this mountain. It's about eleven thousand feet. So I went from six thousand feet to eleven thousand feet in six hours. And you know, with my worship, my Bible, my journal, just praying and asking God to speak to me. And um, He did not give me an audible. It was quiet as a mouse. And I remember getting to the very, almost to the very top. Um, there was a, there was a moment that I was supposed to turn and go back down because there were some issues with the trail. And I threatened the, the search and rescue guy by saying, Hey, I've had people point guns at me and shoot at me. I can get to the top. I'm not turning around. I got to get to the top. I'm on a mission. So he let me go on. I made it to the top and I sat there in frustration and began to journal. God, what, what, what is it? Um, and Brian, I think everybody will think I'm crazy when I share this, but um, prior to getting to the top, I had one of those Motorola Razor phones. 
And I remember within 15 minutes to the top, I stopped just to take a break. And I mean, I was sitting at almost 11,000 feet. There's no cell phone reception at that height. And my phone began to ring. And I thought, this is not possible. And I opened it and it was Rocky Fleming. Now, Brian and I, one other gentleman from Tulsa, we were part of the original cabinet of this ministry. So we met once a month just to pray. And so I knew Rocky, you know, like Brian would say, he was a spiritual dad to me. Of course, I tried to answer it. Well, there was nothing there. I mean, Rocky, there was, there was nobody answering. So I, I closed the phone. I finished my hike. I began the journal. And my wife, Julie, with both of my kids, stepped out of that tram. And guys, it uh, still gets me every time just thinking about it. As my wife walked up to me, the first words out of her mouth were, so God told you, what's next? What is it? And she was just beaming with a smile on her face. And I'm thinking, woman, you're crazy. God's not said anything to me. And I'm really frustrated right now. She goes, no, Frank, God has told you. He has told you what's next. And I said, Julie, I've not heard from God, but I need you to look at my phone and tell me that you see that Rocky called me at 1132. I'll never forget the time. And she took the phone as she already knew the answer. And she looked at it and she closed it. And she handed me the phone and God used my wife to speak his calling into my life that day. She looked at me and she said, Frank Khalil. Hmm. He's entrusted you with the little things of life. And now you're ready to be entrusted with the greater things that he has for you. Go be about your father's business. That's what God's telling you to do, Frank. Go be about his business. And um, I absolutely knew nothing on what to do with that. I thought, this is insane. But I knew it was from the Lord. So, of course, the minute we came down that mountain, I called Rocky. That was my first phone call. And he answered. And I said, Rocky, did you call me today at 1132? And Rocky says, I didn't call you. I said, did you but call me? He goes, Frank, I did not call you. He looked at my phone. I did not call you. I said, OK, well, we need to talk. <laughs> so uh, it was pretty clear. Um what he was calling me to. Um, and it came in in a really incredible, amazing way. And, you know, I've not looked back, even though it was, you know, there was more to the story because um, it was about a year later, almost a year later, I walked into my chief's office to sign my separation papers, not my, not my retirement papers. Um, at least the police pension in Oklahoma. Um, if you leave one day before your 20th year anniversary, you get nothing. You get zero. Okay. So uh, the chief of police was a dear friend because I went to college with his son and we both went to the academy together. We both became policemen together. So when I walked in to sign my paperwork, um, he stepped around the desk and he said, Hey, can we talk as just like as friends, not as me being your chief? And I said, Sure. And he looked at me and says, Because I love you, I've got to ask you. Can you not wait another three years, seven months and 23 days? Because it's going to go by just like that. You will get a paycheck for the rest of your life and you can go do all the ministry you want. Right. And I literally stood up and I said to him, please don't insult me. Let me sign my paperwork. 
God has called me and I'm going. So um, I've not looked back. That was 2012. Um, Brian and Trent, who has been closer to me, they can attest to it. God has done some amazing above and beyond what we could ever imagine. And, and let me clarify that. God has done that. Not Frank Khalil. Okay. Um, God has done that. Just like he's already doing an incredible work through each one of you. Um, I can speak about Bob, who's on the call with us here, who moved to Norman, Oklahoma two years ago to be close to his son and sold everything, packed his bags. And it was an answer prayer um, because Oklahoma, Norman is just two hours from me. And there is a magnitude of incredible hunger for Jesus, for intimacy in Norman, just like there is in Tulsa. And I'm watching Bob, you know, a retired fireman who, who was just being obedient because of his abiding walk with Jesus to just did the first journey group and then the second journey group. And now, I mean, and it's just organically reproducing and God is doing something incredible. Um, and, and that's happening all across the country. And I'm sure in every one of your towns and you, again, you may be sitting there going, man, is it me? And then you may be also sitting there and the devil may be telling you, oh, it can't be you. There's no way it could be you, right? Well, the reality is God's calling all of us to a greater purpose, to greater things for his glory, not ours. And, and Brian can attest to this and being, you know, the executive director of the global office and watching all this happen all across the country and around the world. Um, we're a tiny little ministry with a massive fingerprint. And the reason is, this is not patting ourselves in the back. It's not. The reason is, is because we humbly profess and believe that this is God's ministry. And we understand what Jesus' discipleship model looks like. And we use a tool, guys. It's a simple tool, and there's a lot of great tools out there. It's not the answer. It's just a tool. And it's the journey. We've seen the fruit of it. And, and I'll circle back to John 15, 5. Apart from him, you can do nothing. The only way we can bear abundant fruit, according to the word, is by being obedient and giving God all the glory. And in our staff call this morning, I got to pray with Henry from Costa Rica. You know, Henry was a go-getter pastor. And he's learning to not be that. I got to go produce and have the numbers kind of pastor. He's learning to just go and speak into people's lives. All the while, he's nurturing his own walk with Jesus first. And God's going to do something incredible in Costa Rica. We're already watching it, just as he's doing it in every one of these towns that you're in. So, Ryan, I hope that answers what you asked. Yeah, well, let me, so um, let me bring, or let me explain that uh, Rocky had a vision. Um, that, you know, the, the 501c3 nonprofit was formed by the time this all happened with Frank. And uh, Rocky kind of felt like he always wanted, he wanted our organization, he wanted to practice what we preach. So he thought he didn't want to like have this idea that you abide in Christ and God, we're dependent on God, personal abandonment, absolute trust, and then organize the ministry to be like a corporation you know, where we're going to go, be in control of everything. He wanted to, he wanted to make sure it was, 
it was, you know, hands off. So he wanted it to be decentralized. So he knew that this, he had a vision that it was going to develop in new cities, but he didn't want it to be a top-down control type ministry. And so the first, the first region, if you will, that developed was Pete McKenzie out in, in the West. They called it Influencers West. But, you know, Pete was already well-established and he had a donor base of men who believed in him and supported his ministry over there. And he spoke at different churches and he had a speaking ministry and all that. So he just joined, uh, he just, he kind of merged that into influencers. So he was the kind of the first region, but it was already well-established. Frank in Tulsa was the very first real experiment of this decentralized model, I would say, don't you think, Frank? And, and uh, talk a little bit about the formation of your first board and, trying to figure out about raising money to support your salary and all that, because, you know, the global office doesn't take any money from the regions. It's like a percentage or anything like that. It's, Rocky's always believed support follows ministry. So if we have people that have been raised up in the ministry and, and, and there's a, a, a significant group of people that believe in the mission, they'll get behind it and support it. So you want to talk about some of the challenges there and maybe some of the lessons learned in the early years, Frank, of that? Sure, sure. Um, well, so so Julie and I, you know, my wife and I, we prayed. Well, what does this look like for us? I mean, we stepped out cold turkey. You know, uh, you could you could almost say we were the first non-paid staff family in a sense. But you know, we we had to trust what God was going to do with this model. Um, and we just looked at Paul's life. You know, Paul was a tent maker while he was doing what God called him to do. You know, and and by what I've seen in Scripture, it wasn't until at least around 10 plus years of Paul's ministry, that those who Paul impacted their lives got behind him and said, hey, we ought to support what he's doing. So we we kind of used that model. Um, you know, we, we put a board together. I mean, these were guys like Brian and Trent. I mean, guys that been impacted by the ministry, right? Well, the first thing was the board got on board, if you will, right? All these guys said, man, we believe in what God's called you to. We believe, most importantly, in the mission that God has given us for this ministry. We're going to support it. And from that point, uh, we had plenty of frustrating moments because we're like, well, how do we fundraise? Well, we tried a couple of fundraising things that didn't work. And they just didn't. And, and God kept saying, just be faithful. Just keep pointing people to Jesus. Just keep helping them learn to abide. Keep helping them learn to self-feed. And in time, God's timing which none of us want to be patient enough to wait on. If it's God's idea and if it's God's calling, God will provide, right? Because it's his ministry. So, I mean, Brian and Trent can attest to this. That's exactly what happened in Tulsa to a T. I mean, people got behind it. I mean, guys, and I don't say this boastfully at all. I, I say it humbly. Um, we are a ministry that... I can't remember last time I asked somebody for funds. People are actually asking us how they can get behind us and support us. Now, granted, biblical stewardship is not just financial. You know, it's your time, it's your talent, it's your unique gifting, and it's your resources. It's all of those things combined. And so we have all of the above getting involved, and that includes finances. So, um, God continues to provide, and it's been amazing to watch. Now, we had to be faithful. I mean, uh, some of you know Paul Holzmer. He was on my our original board. He was the chair of the board for a long time. 
And I remember at one point, Paul and I having lunch, and Paul said, wow, we just had 400 guys go through the journey. And not, you know, we had three guys sign up to support financially. What is going on? And I just kind of smiled, and I said, Paul, what would happen if somebody called our treasurer and send a million-dollar check in? What if that happened? My question to Paul was, then who do we depend on? If, if we have a million dollars sitting in a bank, and we don't have to worry about finances to step out and do what we're doing, then who do we depend on? And it was an easy answer. If it's God's ministry and it's God's calling and God's asking us to do this, God's going to provide. He's going to provide the resources. He's going to provide the leaders. He's going to provide the infrastructure for leaders to be nurtured. He's going to provide all of those things. And again, I'm preaching probably to the choir here, but Brian can attest to that. And so many of you guys can attest to that. He will provide. Why? Because his word tells us that. It's not because I'm telling you that. It's clearly in scripture that he is our provider. And if we would abandon ourselves and trust him, he does that. So I, I can humbly say, I mean, for Tulsa and being like Brian said, the kind of the first trial region for that we've seen it we've seen god's hand from day one and he continues to do that um, and he'll do the same for every other region that he's calling a champion to eventually and it may be you it may not be you but it may be somebody in your sphere of influence that god's calling and guess what you get to play a role in nurturing that person to be that regional person to just because that's they're calling and god's chosen them for that so uh God does that. We're 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 an example of that. I can tell you. Yeah, because uh, you know, and I remember when in the early days we were always hoping we get enough monthly donors to support the budget, and it never was really working out. It was maybe half, maybe half, right, of the budget. Uh, so He always left room for us to have to sweat it out to the end of the year, and then the year-end donations would would cover it. You know, and they always did. And you guys have been healthy and. 10 years later, things are going great, um, and it just continues to, to expand. So I guess my last question for you before we let see if these guys have any questions. So tell, how do you spend most of your time now as a regional? Now, 10 years later, how do you spend most of your time? What do your days look like? Um, I map out my schedule throughout the week, and it looks like this. Um, obviously, first and foremost, it starts with me at the foot of the cross. Um, that's been engraved in my DNA, right? And 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 just so you all know, I mean, I, and Brian knows this, guys that are on the call knows this about me. Um, the board knows this about me. Um, my spouse can wait. My children can wait. The ministry can wait. All the things that has to be accomplished or done can wait. It has to start with Frank at the foot of the cross, right? So um, it's that, it's that, me abiding in Christ. It has to start there. From that place, then it's me nurturing. And I know you guys have heard these words. It's me nurturing and protecting, right? It's me nurturing and protecting my walk with Jesus. Then second to that is me nurturing and protecting my spouse, my marriage, my bride. Um, next to that comes me nurturing and protecting and how I'm raising my children. Guys, th this is just my priority. Okay. Um, and from that, it's my nurturing, protecting my walk 
my spouse, my children. Then comes the calling in God's, what God's chosen me to do, which is the ministry. Okay. And then my days look like this. I am, I spent, I'm going to say 90% of my time with the leaders. And I believe this from day one, um, from the inception of this in Tulsa. Um, if you have healthy leaders, they will create a healthy group environment and God will do everything else, which is 99.9%. We have to be healthy. And what I mean by healthy is, healthy is I invest most of my time in nurturing and protecting the leaders. I mean, and and I'm a little bit over time. I'm OCD and ADD and all the other acronyms. So I, I do, you know, I, I probably meet with 10 leaders a day whether it's 15 minutes, 30 minutes, coffee or something, you know, and, and, and I have to pick and choose, right? You know, when Bob moved to Norman, I spent a little bit of time with Bob and it was pretty obvious that Bob was walking with Jesus and nurturing and protecting his walk. So it's like, well, I don't need to worry too much about Bob, right? But you've got a lot of young believers that has nothing to do with age who they need to be invested on. And then Trent understands that. Brian and the guys that have been on my board understand that. We've got to nurture these first-year leaders, second-year leaders. So um, we have we grow so much in Tulsa. Um, that I, that's where I spend my time, Brian. I spend my time pouring into the leaders consistently all the time. Um, and, 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 again, God does everything else. Yeah, and, and every region can look a little different. We've talked about through the years about flexing the form, but not the function. And 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 we feel like in Tulsa, when we started, it was all about the journey. And then everything else was after that, as far as the ministry goes. But then we've added some, ga- we've, we've learned from our brothers and sisters out in California, the value of gathering and having some consistent gathering time. So, so we, we added a deal called the Anchor, which was a weekly gathering point that uh, is still going on today, now expanding to two, lo- two locations in the city and with a vision to, for more, right? So uh, those are some pretty cool things that have happened. So any comments on that? Yeah, um, you know, w- we created the Anchor, which Brian was uh, instrumental in that from day one uh, in the warehouse of his business. I mean, Brian, quite honestly, it was when we went to visit Pete as a cabinet and we saw what Pete was doing and Brian and I, we were coming back on that plane, and Brian looked at me and said, man, we live in the Bible buckle of America. Why aren't men gathering? There's four churches in every corner. So that's where that birthed from. And Brian said, mm-hmm. well, let's meet in the back of the warehouse. of the." So uh, it's become, we have a mission and vision for it. It's become a place for past, current, and future influencers to come together. So it's men of every walk of life. Churched, unchurched, been through the journey, hadn't been in the journey. So it's become our, a, a huge a place to just keep guys encouraged, one. But two, it's become an on-ramp to plug people in the journey group. So we just recently, Trent, and I didn't know if you knew this, we just recently in the last seven, eight weeks launched Anchor in Owasso, which is 20 minutes north of Tulsa. And again, we don't count numbers, but it's a small town. Zero marketing, zero advertising. It has gone, it has tripled in size in six weeks. We've launched four new journey groups in six weeks, just 20 minutes up the road. 
because of the anchor. So um, it's it's really powerful, really powerful. Yeah. Well, um, I'm going to open the floor for any questions you guys have. We got about 20 minutes left, and I, if you can type them in the chat or you can uh, just jump in here. If anyone has one, you can jump in at this moment and ask Frank a question. Can I go? Jim Hypock, go ahead. Yes. Hey, Frank, uh, haven't seen you in a while, but uh, you know, I have a half a page of notes here. It wasn't that I was putting my head down and looking away. I was uh, half a page of notes of answers to questions I didn't know I had. So I thank you for, for that. Uh, a couple of things. We, What I'm discovering is this is, uh, I've been through it once and I've led three different times. And so what I'm discovering, I'm telling the other leaders that it takes about three three rounds of this to really understand the dynamic of the influencers group. And one of the leaders said, yeah, I get it. This is my third time. And this is the, this is the one that really opens up my eyes to what is needful and what the guys are, are looking for. Uh, <clears throat> I, uh, and firsthand experience with this organic growth. I, I come from a business uh, background. I want to I, I want to go hunt it down, skin it, kill it, and bring it home, and and eat it. And uh, they talk about organic growth, and there's a new concept. So here, here's the couple of things that I'm having problems with, with with the guys. And one of the very first things you said is journaling. Um, they don't understand the importance of journaling. So how can you get that across? Uh, to the men. I, I think um, this fourth year coming up, I see an explosion happening here in Anaheim. An explosion, when I say I think we'll double, uh, but that's what I think. I don't know what the Lord thinks. Um, but I do believe if the men begin to journal more uh, intently or on purpose, that they will even see a deeper value in, in the journey. How do you get that point across? Well, um, obviously, I can't speak for Angie because I know the ladies do things a little different. But I think at the end of the day, it, it all it all plays a role here. Right. Um, it's part of the process. Journaling. Um, you know, as a facilitator or a guide of a journey group, um, I'm extremely intentional, Jim, in. Lack of better words. Um, Brian and Trent knows me really well, so they may laugh when I say this, but I, I, I intentionally challenge the men consistently to journal um, in, in such a way that I call them out at times. Like, guys, seriously? You know, um, because I was that guy, right? I was the, when I went through the journey the first time and I was challenged to journal, my exact words were, this is journaling. This is stuff that girls do. I'm not, I don't have time for this. That was my comment. And boy, was I wrong, right? But I'll tell you something that's helped me, Jim, is I consistently share the rawness of my journal entries with guys that are refusing to journal. Not to twist their arms, but I, I just, I'll open up my journal. And, and I've done this so many times now. I'll say, look, here's why I'm encouraging you to journal. Let me share something with you. And I'll share something I wrote about a day where Frank messed up or things weren't that great for me, okay? But then I turned the page and then I read what God did because I went to him, because I journaled. And they can see that contrast of, wow, you journaled a tough day, but then you journal what God did out of that tough day. And they begin to see that there is power in that. There, there's fruit in that. Um, 
I, you know, I usually go around to journey groups when they first launch to literally talk about journaling because year two of leading a journey group, I had a gentleman in my group whose son was a drug addict. He actually was my neighbor. And for six months in, he point blank said, do not ask me again, Frank, to journal because I'm not going to journal. And I left it alone for about two sessions. And then we went to coffee one day and I said, I, you know, he kept pouring his heart out to me about his challenge with his son. And I said, look, I know you don't want to hear this from me, but I want to encourage you. Write this stuff down. Write down the prayers that you've been praying for your son. Just write it down so you can go revisit. And, you know, um, that was a turning point for that man because um, it wasn't two weeks later. He sat at his at his kitchen, had a bowl of cereal one morning and journaled a prayer for his son. And he was running late. He left. He went to work and he left his journal on that countertop. <clears throat> well, you know what happened. The son gets up, comes downstairs to get himself a bowl of cereal, and he sees his dad's journal. And we're creatures of curiosity. And his son opens that journal, and he begins to read his daddy pouring out his heart for him in prayer. And I'm here to tell you, it changed everything for that family. And that man began to journal because his son got his act together. Because of a journal entry. So I, you know, I try to be very raw and transparent about my journal entries and what they've done in my life and how they impact my family and my friends and my sphere of influence. Um, you know, but you you can't make them do it, you know, and you just have to again, you have to trust the Lord with that. And you got to pray over them and trust that eventually they will do it. Yeah, it it uh I'll never forget training uh, some people in Egypt in Cairo and teaching them how to journal. And of course, the you know the star S T R doesn't quite work in Arabic, but uh, but the concepts do. And uh, we were just sharing that how it works, all that. And then one of the guys said they were saying something in Arabic, and I asked to translate what it was. She said they want to know if you'll share your from your journal. And and so they wanted to hear exactly what you're saying, Frank. So I pulled mine out. And that particular morning, I was having kind of a rough morning. I was not really happy about being there. I was kind of homesick, being away from my family, and I had journaled some stuff. And then, and then the Lord ministered to me in my pl- place where I was at. So I just decided I just read it. I read it, and and they were like their eyes were this big that I was being real transparent and all that. But it opened the door for them to. And I heard comments later that they heard from the Lord. We did this journaling exercise, and they heard from the Lord like they'd never heard before so anyway you just gotta stick to it and we could talk more about that um more jim i can talk to you more i'll send you guys the journaling 101 document we have in case you've never seen that which helps a little bit on explaining why we journal um there's another question here in the chat uh mike hearn from wichita is asking uh how soon should you close a group out when you start a journey group you know as far as new members joining frank what's your take on that well um again you know, we've just followed the originality of what Rocky did year, you know, from the start. Um, that's not to say wrong or right or indifferent. Like Brian said, the form is flexible. The DNA is not. So all of us have to, to prayerfully consider what affects the DNA, right? So 
these journey groups are very intimate. Um, hopefully that's the experience you've had and that you're having. Um, you're creating a safe place, a safe environment for, for people, whether it's a ladies group or a men's group, for people to really get literally, I, you, know, we, you know, we call it butt naked with what's going on in their life. Now, guys, we all know um, that's a tough thing to do in this day and age. It's always, it has always been difficult, but it's become even more difficult, right? Because we all have a fear. We have a fear that if I dare tell you about the dirty little secrets, or something I may be going through that the whole world is going to know, right? We, some of us on this call probably have been hurt within our Christian community, within our own church, that we might have confessed or said something to somebody and the word got out, even after you asked somebody to keep it confidential. So I take that into this question. A group comes together. I mean, I think there's there's got to be a, a timeline where you says, okay, you know, they're the guys are gelling, the gals are gelling. You're not going to just let somebody come in because it could disrupt that that trust, if you will. Now, I'm not saying it can't work. Um, I'm about to commence my 21st journey group in four weeks. Okay, 21 groups. Um, one time, I had a gentleman, Brian. If you remember, Michael Klein. He went to church mm-hmm. with me. He was he went through my journey group um, the first time, but he was he was a brother at church. He was in my Sunday school class, really dear friend. Um, he wanted to jump into our group. We were we were literally about to go to our first retreat, the prayer cottage. So we're three months in. And he called and called and called and he begged and says, Frank, is there any way I can jump in? You know, I prayed about it. I went to my journey group. I said, guys, I've got a dear friend from church. This man is desperate for what this has to offer him. Um, would you all prayerfully consider and be willing to have him jump in? I'll go spend some time with them and bring him up to par before we have our first retreat. They all said, absolutely. He came in and it worked. They received them. They, they loved on them. You know. It slowed this down a little bit, if you will, because, you know, when you don't know somebody and you don't trust them, you're not going to open up and share. We all know that. So it disrupted a little bit, but it still worked. Um, So from that point on, to be honest, um, you know, we regularly do the six week intro sessions. Uh, Some in Tulsa actually do still do the two or three. Like I've extended my I don't do six. And all my groups, I do about four weeks of intro. Once we start session one, which is establishing the journey, which is literally session one, guys have the material. Probably after that session, before we get into God knows, I close the group. Um, but, you know, I look for a group. For, if somebody's looking, we'll plug them in somewhere else. But that's about, Mike, where the time we close it here in Tulsa. And we've done that, again, since 2010. 13. Yeah, and used to used to the journey either started in the beginning of the school year or in January. Now, now there's journey groups starting all the time, live groups. And then if you add virtual groups, which are starting on an ad hoc basis all the time, you know, there's lots of opportunities to plug someone in, you know, that we didn't have before. So that that helps with that problem. So what other questions you guys have for Frank? I have one. 
Frank. Yeah, Angie. Um, hi. So, and I first want to say I met your aunt Melanie at the women's summit. Lovely yes. woman. God ordained that we got to meet. So, so I wanted to mention that. Um, I heard you talking about the anchor, and it's the first time I've heard that mentioned. So, can you expand upon it's weekly? Who attends? Um, you know, how? What's the purpose of the anchor? So the anchor. Um, in Tulsa, it happens every Friday morning at 6.30, okay? A.M., that's A.M., it's pretty early. Um, we meet at one of, well, actually, two journey guys who are pastors of a church um, open up their place for us to use. And I have an anchor team, which you ladies can definitely do this, okay? I don't know if that's where you're going with it, but. We have an anchor team, and the anchor team consists of they're all they're all journey guys and journey leaders. Um, you know, we've got a couple of guys that are responsible for coffee. We've got a couple of guys that are responsible for welcome. They welcome everybody coming through the door. We've got a couple of guys that take care of sound and audio. We've got a couple of guys that are in charge of having journey book books on hand, which includes a little informational card. That if somebody's new, they engage with that new person. They make sure that they get a book if they want one. And they make sure they get their information so I can follow up. So we have a pretty awesome team of about a dozen guys. That's not everybody's always there, but for the most part, most of them are there. We open the place up. Um, It is, just so you know, it is for men only. So we only allow the men to come, which, you know, Tulsa still way behind when it comes to i mean we've had women's journey groups here and there um and and it's evolving it's growing right but it is for men only and it's become really special for the fact that it is a place that men can come and just be themselves and i'm telling you brian can attest to it trent can attest to it it's incredible i mean these are guys that i'm telling you on sunday mornings they're like a mummy they're not going to move they're not going to praise they're not i mean and you ladies know what I'm talking. You know what I'm talking about, Angie. Guys will just sit on their hands and be like, "I." They will come to an anchor, and it's like, "What just happened?" Because we tell them it's a safe place, worship, and we do three things. We, you know, we have coffee for the guys when they first get there. But here's here's the the agenda, if you will, which is there's really not one, but there is one. Um, we do three worship songs, so we have a worship team. Uh, it's just one one or two guys, and they rotate with a guitar and usually me on the djembe. But we do three worship songs. We take turns. Every week we have a different journey leader share a word of testimony, whether it's their testimony what the journey did, whether it's a word God gave them. Um, and then we do what's the most powerful thing we do. At the end, we challenge the guys to not run out because that's what they do, to give themselves permission to stay and pray with another man or two, which is 100% uncomfortable. And Brian and Trent will attest to this. When we first started this, Brian, remember, a lot of guys would leave. Today, nobody leaves. Guys will stay and get in groups of twos, threes, fives, and sometimes I have to kick them out. It's so powerful. It's so powerful. So that's kind of what it looks like. 
And it, and you're kind of piggybacking on Mike Hearn's question. It, it was a great place. If, if there wasn't a, a place for it to plug it into a journey group, it'd be a, a place he could go and not feel isolated, where he could go and be around some other men and be poured into until the right time when he can join a journey group. So it was a kind of a good holding place or a fishing pool, too, for guys who don't even know about the journey, but they come because they're looking for connection with other men. And then every time they're there, they're going to hear about the journey because uh, Frank would give everyone a free book, free journey book if they came, you know, if, you, if you're a guest, whatever. So, uh, yeah, yeah, Angie, I will say this. Um, it's, you know, probably I'm going to say 20 to 30 percent of the guys in the room every week are not journey guys. They're okay. not um, every single week. This is the most exciting, exciting part for us is every single week we have two, three, five new faces. The amazing part is we offered the book at the end. And usually I'm the one that does that from the front because I close us out. And I just tell them, hey, we'd love to give you a copy of this book for you to get involved. The only thing we ask of you is that you read it. And you will get a follow-up from me. And if you decide you don't want to read it, I want my book back. I actually tell them that. You have to be that way with guys. And the amazing thing is all these years of doing this, Right, I'm going to say probably in the last 10 years, I think I've only had one guy out of hundreds hand me a book back and say, man, I didn't read it. I don't have time because of my work schedule and so forth. But 99.9% of the time when I go do a follow-up with these guys, they've already read the book. They don't even wait for me to explain what the journey is. Their words to me are, how do I plug in? When is the next group? So... Amazing. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I think we have time for one one last question. Anyone got another question for Frank? Frank, are you gathering the guys that are coming? Um, they're coming into this church that your pastors are friends of. How does that get by the barrier that I don't go to this church or I am not a church person? How are you getting those people recruited in? We we don't we don't advertise and you know, we send out an email once a week. Anchor Friday morning six thirty. Meet at Hope Collective Coffee. Actually, it's a coffee shop that on the weekends the back of it turns into a church, and we make it. Who are very, you emailing? Say again. Who are you emailing? All the journey guys that we have information for, and uh, we put it on Facebook and. So it's up to them to go get the new people. Correct. Correct. We challenge the guys to invite the guys. And we make it pretty clear, Andrew, that, hey, this is not a church thing. Yeah. The church actually has nothing to do with it. Um, this is a God thing. And it's a place for us to just be men, to worship, to hear a word of testimony, to pray for each other, and to get connected and, and, and discover discipleship. If you're looking for a discipleship group, which we happen to use the journey as a tool. Thank you. All right. Well, hey, Frank, thank you for sharing, man. I think uh, I think I saw a lot of people taking notes. So uh, good job. Love you, man. And uh, I uh, appreciate having you. So um, I wanted to tell you guys uh, two things before we close out. Um, for all you men, um, we're doing our leadership summit the last weekend of October, Thursday through Sunday, at the very end of October. We would love, we definitely, you are the people that we would want to come and for you to bring, you know, four to five of your key leaders from your area. 
So put that on your calendar and be thinking about uh, making that happen. It'll be at the same location, Camp Heart of the Hills, which is just outside Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, where we did the Ladies Summit. So uh, please mark your calendar on that. Um, it's kind of an invitation only type deal because it's a leadership summit. So we want our kind of our key leaders there. Um, so that you probably won't see me blasting information about it on our emails and all that. Um, the second thing is um, we have a we have a prayer team with representatives from each region, like Frank's region, you know, but then we also want a prayer representative from every branch, if you will, emerging branch, which is some which is you guys in the city. So um, we meet once a month. Uh, it's, it's the global prayer team. We kind of consider these guys prayer elders. So if you um, if you don't have anyone on this team, we would love to ask you to nominate somebody that has the gift of intercession who you think is your, and probably you know these people already. They, they probably come to your mind quickly. Someone who just loves to pray. They're that person, the rock of, of prayer in, in your area. And if you could connect me with that person, nominate them, I'll plug them into a, our monthly meeting and we have a group me and, but we're really trying to engage prayer coverage for the overall ministry. You know, prayer, prayer, we want to hear what's going on in the regions. These people will be in tune with how to pray for each region because they're going to be in contact with you and working with you on your region. But um, we also want this team to be praying for the overall global, the global ministry as well. So uh, anyway, we meet on the second Tuesday of each month. So tomorrow night, uh, eight o'clock PM, it's a once a month meeting. So just connect that person with me, if you would, if uh, you have somebody that you'd like to recommend to be on that team. So. All right. Father, thank you so much for these men and women that were on this call today. Lord, it's kind of like what Frank said. There's a reason that they're here. They're seat, they're searching. They want you. They want to have that relationship with you. They want to guide other men and women through the journey so that they too can have the same relationship with you that, that they have. So Lord, use Frank, use his story, use his ideas, and let's just spread the journey all across the United States and in fact, even across this world. These things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. me.